When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 190 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Fans First Sports Network, part of the Midtown Rebound Podcast Network. Sean St. Jacques back here with you for another episode of the show. Again, it has been too long. Again, I apologize. We just had a lot going on these last few weeks in particular. With the other work that I do, uh, again, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at SJ7, that's the best way to basically keep up with everything I'm doing, not only with this podcast, but also with my normal job, my main job, which is doing play-by-play. So a lot has been happening, a lot of cool stuff that's, frankly, that's coming up, that's already happened, and that has been the reason for my delay in doing a new episode of the show. We did not get to finish coverage of the NBA Finals, so I apologize for that. We will spare a thought for the NBA champion Denver Nuggets on this show for the runners-up, the Miami Heat. But really, what I was really disappointed in uh, from my own perspective here, we did not get a chance to dive in to NBA draft coverage. And since the draft just happened, we will dive into some of that Today, I know it's one of the favorite things around here on this show for you guys, the listeners. So really uh, apologetic here on my end uh, for not diving more into the draft these last few weeks. We're going to do that today. Full aftermath of the draft. Again, normally what we do on this show is we do a live draft night reaction uh, to the NBA draft. There's two reasons we didn't do that. Number one, uh, my other job, a lot of work going on these last couple of weeks, but also, uh, to be fair, another reason why I didn't just fight through it and try to do it anyway was because the Knicks really didn't play a big part, uh, in the NBA draft this year. It's a rare thing to say, uh, but the Knicks really, uh, didn't have much to do on draft night. So that is another reason why we did not really jump into it as much as normal, Regardless, there's a lot to talk about from the draft. We will get to that on the show as well. And there are two big trades that we did not get a chance to discuss. One in particular is a doozy. We will talk about that on this show as well. We begin by sparing a thought for our NBA champion, Denver Nuggets, and the runners-up, the Eastern Conference champion, Miami Heat. I I think going into the series, and again, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. The, the series has been talked about at nauseum, but just to you know, for you all to get my brief thoughts on it. Going into the series, I thought Denver were the favorites by far. I thought the Heat would still put up a fight, and they did. I thought the series could go one more game. I thought I thought the Nuggets would win it in Miami in a game six scenario. Uh, it ended a game earlier in Denver. In game five, I mean, listen, the turning point of the series is, uh, well, it's a game we already talked about, really. It was game three. Going into game three of that series, I felt pretty strongly, and I said it on the show, that 
if the Nuggets win game three, they could easily go on and win this series in five games. I, I felt that that was a very strong possibility. But if the Heat got game three, the Heat could win this in six because if they could take that momentum in and win game four like they did against the Knicks and uh, as they did uh, at least in that early part of the series against Miami winning the three in a row, kind of felt like they were going to go on and win it at home in a game six and shock a lot of people knocking off the top-seeded Denver Nuggets out of the West. And boy, the Nuggets on the road in this series uh, were just tremendous, really. I mean, the the game two win for Miami kind of in some ways also kind of highlighted how great Denver was. I mean, the the heat in this series really only had one quarter where they were the better team in this series, one full quarter. And that was the fourth quarter of game two. The rest of the series was dictated and dominated by the Denver Nuggets, who I thought from start to finish in this NBA postseason were the best team. I mean, they were dominant at home in every game except for that fourth quarter of game two in the NBA finals. And games three and four in Miami, I mean, it was men against boys at times. Jokic and Murray were absolutely incredible. The supporting cast led by Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon and Christian Brown were unbelievable. And they dominated games three and four. I mean, there was a couple of brief moments in game four where I thought the Heat were going to be able to get back into it, maybe even the series, but it, it didn't last very long. Same in game three. It did feel like there were a couple moments where you thought maybe Miami gets back into it here and comes back to maybe make this a game, if not win it. And they never did. I, I mean, it was incredible the way Michael Malone's group handled the road test in this series. Game five was actually the one that caused the most doubt out of those three games. I mean, again, game one was a blowout. It's a game we really haven't talked a ton about because of how lopsided it was. But felt like that game five, you know, there was a couple of moments in particular in the third quarter where it felt like, ooh, Miami might might pull this off and get this back to a game six and then really make this series interesting as Boston did to them in the Eastern Conference Finals, but Denver's defense down the stretch ends up dictating the outcome of the series, and the Denver Nuggets earn a well, well-deserved first-ever NBA championship with an all-time great big man in Nikola Jokic. I think his legacy is now secured. He is one of the best big men of this generation, and he can continue to add on to that. Jamal Murray, I mean, the injury he sustained after that bubble team went to the Eastern, sorry, went to the Western Conference Finals was a, a serious one, a very serious one. He comes back, and, and I remember saying this a year or two ago, maybe a year and a half ago, that if Jamal Murray can just get back to where he was, that this Denver team is going to compete for an NBA championship. And not only did they compete for one, they dominated the league for two months, and really for a good chunk of the season, they were one of, if not the best teams in the NBA, and they were by far the best team in this postseason. Thoroughly deserved NBA championship for the city of Denver. What a, what a couple years it's been, by the way, for, for Denver fans. The Colorado Avalanche and their run 
of not winning a Stanley Cup last season with a win, and the Denver Nuggets win their first ever NBA championship in the same, you know, 10-year stretch, if you will, eight-year stretch that the uh, Denver Broncos beat the Carolina Panthers to win a Super Bowl. So uh, as my uh, one of my good buddies who's a Denver uh, sports fan from the city of Denver said, Rockies, you gonna you gonna hop on this uh, train or not? <laughs> the only team that has never won a championship now in the city of Denver, the Rockies in Major League Baseball, uh, not gonna do it this year. They're having a bad, they're having a real bad year. But the clock is ticking. They've been to a World Series, the Colorado Rockies, back in 07, but they got swept by the Red Sox. So the uh, the Rockies are on the clock there. But yeah, simple simple, simple stuff there. Not going to dive too much deeper. Denver was dominant. They were the best team throughout the postseason, one of the best teams throughout the entire season. And uh, what a team. What a team. And, and the last thing I'll say about them is this. Anytime that the Denver Nuggets faced adversity in these NBA playoffs, and there were more times I think that people uh, would, would give you – uh, the time of day on. I mean, that 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 Suns series in particular, that there was a real chance for Phoenix to come back and win that series, and Denver never flinched. And it's the same thing in the West Finals when they swept away the, the Lakers, and it's the same in this Heat Finals, and it was the same with the, the Timberwolves as well. There were moments where Denver was put up either against the wall or they were shown that, hey, like this is not over yet. And the Nuggets never flinched. They continued to play as if nothing was nothing wrong was happening in a good way. They were never deterred. Never deterred. And they were never fully knocked off course. And the mental stability this team had throughout the postseason needs to be commended. And they get the Larry O'Brien trophy for 2023. Fantastic season for the Denver Nuggets. And they are NBA champions, and rightly so. For the Heat, it's the second time in a three-year stretch that they've been in the NBA Finals, and they've just run out of gas. They've just, you know, it, it, it happened against the Lakers in the bubble. It happened again here against Denver. Yes, they were outmatched in both of those series, but they were also outfought in both of those series. And I just think the the physical toll that the Eastern Conference Finals took on the Heat. If the Heat had won in five or six games, five in particular, if they win in game five, you know, I, I really don't know. Again, they could have swept the, the Celtics as well. If they win early in that series in four or five games, I feel like this is a totally different NBA Finals. But because the Celtics put the Heat through the ringer in games five and six, and listen, the Heat dominated in game seven, but... That toll that it took on Miami showed up again in this series, and they just ran out of gas. The Heat just ran, no pun intended, the, the Heat just ran out of gas. They ran out of energy, and the Nuggets, coming off a sweep against the Lakers, were full of life, full of energy, and it showed. It really showed. Again, the Heat fought throughout the entire series you know, it's not like they gave up. I'm not trying to say that, but the energy they had just wasn't the same throughout the, this series. The defense in particular just lost a lot of its juice, and a lot of its power after that Celtics series, and it never fully recovered. I really don't think Miami fully recovered from the extra, the extra energy spent to knock the Celtics out 
so they should be commended on another great season. I mean, I think Eric Spolstra, again, has shown how incredible of a coach he is. Jimmy Butler really struggled in the NBA Finals, but what a postseason he had. I think he should still get a big old tip of the cap for the way he fought to get the Heat back to another NBA Finals, but they come up a step short for the second time in a three- or four-year period here. And again, they were a shot away from the NBA Finals last year. So again, spare a thought for the Miami Heat. They will be back. Uh, we'll see if they've, they're going to be able to improve the team, but I think they need to if they're going to take that next step. But for the time being, congratulations to Denver. Commiserations to the Miami Heat. We move on. Let, let's let's jump into the more current stuff. I just wanted to give a, a couple of quick thoughts. I probably went five minutes there, maybe a little longer than I would have liked, but uh, went five, to, actually five to seven minutes there. But regardless, I, I just wanted to give a quick thought on the NBA Finals, didn't get a chance to really uh, put it into context because of the busyness of my schedule. So thank you for bearing with me there. Hope you, uh, you know, can share your thoughts on that as well, whether it's on Twitter at SSTJ7, uh, or you could do so when you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So the NBA draft, we have not touched a lot on it at all. And again, I apologize for it. The draft has obviously happened. I do want to give a couple of thoughts on the two rounds of picks here and on a few of the undrafted notables uh, that are definitely worth mentioning here. Now, we begin at the top. There was no surprise at number one. That really has been a pretty much a lock for what, six months? <laughs> Something like that? It was just going to be who was going to make the pick. That was really the big, you know, shoot a drop here leading into the NBA draft. And Victor Wembenyama is a San Antonio Spur. And I, I think that this is nothing new here, but this feels like a match made in heaven. Can he 7-5, can shoot it, can defend can run the floor, can handle the basketball. Again, barring an injury, you know, that's the biggest concern, right? He's taller than someone we'll talk about later, Chris Tapps Porzingis, and he's going to be expected to put a lot more, you know, stress on his body because of his ability to handle the basketball. I'm going to, two things that interest me with this pick right off the bat. Number one, on paper, the San Antonio Spurs are the perfect team to get this player. The way that Greg Popovich can develop stars, the way he can run a system, Victor Wembenyama is going to be fine in his development as a player, physically, mentally. The second part, to me, is the concern. And the second part of that is how often are the San Antonio Spurs going to have him handling the basketball? That, to me is a really important part of his future in the NBA. It's incredible what Victor Wembanyama can do. If you haven't seen him play, and probably you have by now, but there was a time when, because we, we've talked about Victor Wembanyama on this show before, once or twice, I believe, just because we saw him play and we we're like, we got to talk about this guy. This guy's insane for his size and length how good he is on both ends of the floor and how well he can handle the basketball for his size. So you look at that and 
I, I just wonder, right? Because he played in a league for the Metropolitans '92, where you just kind of go, eh, not a lot of physicality, right? Not a ton, and he's just overmatching everybody in the NBA. He's going to be tested quite a bit, and you wonder right off the bat with Victor Wembanyama, what is the physical toll going to look like on his body after the first season, right? Because, for for example different players but similar sizes right you look back on last year's draft right i mean i i was thinking about this uh the day after the draft and one name right off the bat here comes to mind from last year's draft and that's chet holmgren the kid out of gonzaga a little bit shorter <laughs> than victor Wembanyama, but i think he's 7'2 Chet Holmgren, something like that. Very tall, very thin, you know, lankier guy, but can handle the ball around the rim. Very athletic, can play well on both ends of the floor, right? Obviously can't do the perimeter stuff that Victor Wembanyama can, but right off the bat, I mean, the physicality with Chet Holmgren, I mean, he gets hurt and we barely seen him in the NBA, you know, and I'll say this top picks recently where that first you know few years of being injured really impacted their careers. You know, you could argue Ben Simmons is one of those guys. Zion Williamson is certainly one of those guys. And now you throw Chet Holmgren into that mix. All those guys were top three picks. And those early seasons of misdevelopment and things like that have certainly hurt their careers on the floor. And we still have not gotten a full year out of Zion Williamson. You know, Ben Simmons never developed a jump shot, and it's impacted his NBA career, and he continues to be injured. And now he's in, you know, whatever you want to call it, he's in no man's land right now with the Brooklyn Nets. His future is in limbo, to say the least. And he hasn't really made that long-lasting impact on on this NBA, Ben Simmons. Again, you know, he's had a few good years with the Sixers, but they still have never been to an Eastern Conference Finals. We still haven't really seen the very best of Ben Simmons as a full player because he hasn't developed into a full player. And Zion Williamson has shown so many amazing flashes of brilliance. But now, when's, when are we going to see him play again? That's up in the air in a big way. And we're hearing more about Zion's personal life on, off the court than we're hearing about when he's next going to be an NBA player again. When's he going to, you know, when's he going to get on the floor and, and play night in and night out? It's a scary proposition for the future of his career as, as a, you know, a guy trying to make a, an impact on the NBA. And Chet Holmgren, year two is going to be very important. Very important. Not By the way, not saying that any of this is going to happen to Victor Wembanyama, but you never know the way his body is set up. I mean, Chris Tapp's Porzingis is a really good example of what could happen to your body. And Chris Tapp's Porzingis is probably the most similar NBA comp in the league right now to Victor Wembanyama. At that size, he can shoot it, he can handle it. Although Victor Wembanyama can handle it a little bit better and kp you know super athletic around the rim so 
can Victor Wembanyama, you know, avoid the injuries? I mean, that's really the biggest thing. And the answer I, I think I have to give right now is he probably won't. But how long is he going to be out when he gets hurt? And how much is that going to impact his NBA career? Because Kristaps Porzingis is still a good NBA player, but, you know, what is his, you know, ceiling? I don't know. And again, we're going to get to him later. We are, we're going to get to him and the trade that he was involved with in the second half of the show. But I digress. The Wembenyama stuff is interesting. I'm excited. You know, the Spurs are going to be watchable again. And Greg Popovich has got a heck of a star on his hands. But the future is going to be interesting with Victor Wembenyama. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious what his future is going to look like. The rest of the top five uh, was interesting. I mean, number two was up in the air for a while. I think uh, many people thought it was going to be Scoot Henderson, one of the G League Ignite guys. Uh, the the Thompson brothers, Amen and Asar from Overtime Elite, were certainly in the mix as well. There was a brief, very brief thought that it could be Anthony Black out of Arkansas. It ended up being Brandon Miller, the controversial Alabama player that was involved uh, in a shooting, um, or at least his gun was, involved in a shooting uh, when he was in college at Alabama. Um He's got a lot of baggage with him, and uh, so does the Alabama Athletic Department that's continuing to lose respect for the way they handled that situation, as did the head coach, uh, Nate Oates, for the way he handled it. Uh, Not going to dive fully into it. We have a lot to get to still on the show, so I'm not going to fully dive into this, but if you want to know more, I highly recommend you search uh, the, the incident that Brandon Miller was involved in. It is a tragedy to say the least, and I think the Alabama Athletic Department and, you know, the NCAA is a joke, so they they, they both handled it absolutely terribly. Um, so it's just one of those situations where you look at the way it was handled and more should have been done. I mean, that's, that's fair to say. But Brandon Miller, as many top prospects uh, in these situations do uh, that don't get punished, they move on. Brandon Miller is now a uh, Charlotte Hornet. He's a very good, M- uh, going to be potentially a very good NBA player. Um, it's just a situation where uh, he has a lot of stuff that's happened with that incident that's going to follow him uh, into the NBA. Scoot Henderson, another guy that you know didn't play college basketball. He's going to go to the Blazers. I-, I love that pick. I think the Blazers, Blazers get a bit of a steal here. And, and regardless of what happens with Damian Lillard. Scoot Henderson could be a really nice fit for what Portland is trying to do. And then the Thompson brothers mentioned them a moment ago. They go four five rockets, pistons, Anthony black goes to the magic at six. I worry about that pick a little bit with the magic, the way that they've been stacking talent. I'm not entirely sure uh, about the fit in Orlando, but I'll tell you this, the magic are stacking talent. I mean, that that's, that is not to be just, uh, that's not to be, uh you know disagreed with that that they've got a lot of really good talented players hopefully we have to see more of Jalen Suggs next year but you look at you know the likes of Palo Bancaro and company and, and they've got a bright future potentially in Orlando could compete for a play-in spot next year I, I really feel that the Magic took a lot of good steps in the right direction this season and they could be a sneaky team next year trying to break into the top 10 
in the NBA. Um, the Wizards, I believe, got Bilal Koulibaly at seven. It was the Pacers pick, but it was traded to the Wizards for the uh, pick below, which was uh, Andres Walker. And basically the Wizards and Pacers swapped picks, if memory serves, on that front. Walker went to Houston. Uh, Bilal Koulibaly is another Metropolitan's 92 player. So the Wizards get Koulibaly. Pacers get Walker. The Pacers have a lot more work to do to try to build this up than I thought they were going to after that Sabonis trade. I mean, the Kings have walked away as huge winners from that whole situation. And I just don't know what the Pacers are going to look like for the next few seasons. And I think this pick helps them. I think getting Walker is a good pick here. I I just don't know, like three or four years down the road, are are the Pacers going to be competing for the top four spots in the, in the East and trying to make a deep run in the NBA playoffs. I I don't know. I I really don't. The Bucks are still going to be a huge factor. The Celtics, although they made that wild trade that we'll get to in a second. They'll be a factor as well. The Knicks, you know, the Knicks are going to be a factor here. The Heat are going to stay a factor as well moving forward, you know, in this East. And you can't forget about teams like the Sixers and the Hawks. They're going to try and stay relevant in these next few seasons. So there, there are some big, big years upcoming for the Eastern Conference with a lot of contending teams, and I just don't know where the Pacers fit into that right now. The Bulls are going to still try and be relevant. The Raptors are making moves to get back into the mix as well. So the East continues to get deeper, and, and I don't know where the Pacers really fit in right now in the pecking order. And again, you, you project that out over a five-year period, it feels like the teams ahead of them are going to get better, and I don't know where the the move is going to be for the Pacers to to stay in this race. I mean, Sabonis was a huge chip for them, and the trade to send him to Sacramento is looking more and more peculiar by the moment, and you start to wonder what the Pacers' plan was, because there's talent on that team. I'm not saying there isn't, but with what the rest of the of the conference has done, and forget about the rest of the league, the West is deep as can be, continues to get better. I don't really know where the Pacers can find a way in here. And looking at next season already, it's early, but Pacers could be on the outside looking into the play in again. And I, that would be a huge disaster for that city and for a team that still has not won an NBA championship. So Indiana's future just looks really, really bleak, despite some talent on this team. But again, just look at the future. I'm not too sure what it's going to look like for this group. With that being said, I'm going to start skipping around a little bit throughout the rest of the first round of the draft here. The Magic got Jet Howard out of Michigan. It's an interesting pick. I think there's stuff that remains to be seen about how he's going to progress into the next level. Uh, Jawan Howard's kid, I believe. So we'll see on that one. Again, the Magic are just stockpiling talent, so he'll have time to develop, and that, that'll be a very nice situation there for the Magic. And it's rare to say that. The Magic are normally where you know NBA talent goes to die, but they've gotten enough of it now where they can actually make a team out of it. And that's where you start to wonder, could they be a top 10 team in the NBA's Eastern Conference next season? It's definitely possible. The Thunder 
had Derek Lively the second out of Duke, but they traded him to the Mavericks. I think Derek Lively the second's a very good player. The Mavericks, again, if he went to the Thunder, I would, I would have thought this was a very good pick. But you look at what Dallas has right now and the way they've been acquiring players recently. I don't really know what he's going to look like in that team if he plays. So that's going to be something to look at. The Raptors get Grady Dick. I think that's a great pick. He, he could fit in very nicely there. Great 3 and D guy. Defends really well on the perimeter. Very good three-point shooter. I, I think he could be a very, very strong NBA player. Jordan Hawkins out of the champions of the University of Connecticut goes to the Pelicans. Again, feels like a good pick. So I'll be very curious how that plays out. The Lakers get Jalen Hudshafino out of Indiana. I, it just kind of feels like a, a pick that you know the Lakers, you know, were like, ah, eh, we can't move up. Moving down doesn't help us too much. We're going to take somebody here. I don't know if this really is a pick that. You know, five years down the road, I could easily see them trading Huchifino. I, I just don't know if this is a great match here, but we'll see. You know, but I, I looked further down here, you know, looking for a great match. The Heat and Jaime Jaquez Jr. I, I really like this pick. I, I think the Heat have used their first round pick extremely well here. This feels like a very good fit. Jaime Jaquez Jr. is just a guy that can do it all on both ends of the floor, especially on the offensive end. And it could develop into a very good defender. He, he feels a little bit like a, a slightly um, less talented Tyler Hero a little bit. He's just got a lot of good you know, pieces to him, piece to his game. I think that this could work out very nicely for the Heat down the road. It's a nice pick. The Nets had back-to-back picks in the first round. They go Noah Clowney out of Alabama and Dariq Whitehead out of Duke. It, this, these two are interesting picks to me. I, I don't feel like they're bad picks for the Nets, but again, the way that the, the Brooklyn Nets operate, I, I just don't know. I mean, Dariq Whitehead down the road could be a very good NBA player, and I think Noah Clowney fits that profile a little bit as well. But I just don't know what the Nets are going to do in free agency and with trades yet. So could they build a team including these players? Yes. Will they? I really don't know. And that's why any picks the Nets make in drafts, I, I sort of scratch my head a little bit because I really just don't know what it's what it's going to look like you know, moving forward. So for the time being, that's one that we're going to have to kind of wait on and and see how it goes. Now, the second round, there were so many trades. There was a ton of movement going on because of the big movement that's been happening around the NBA. So, believe it or not, the first guy that I can comment on here, as far as fit and whatever, is the pick at 46. The Hawks took Seth Lundy out of Penn State. I, I like this pick. I don't love the pick. Because I do, th- I do think Seth Lundy could have been someone that was easily left off the board here. I think that's definitely a possibility. But he's got he's got some good upside. I do feel like with the right system around him, he could be a good role player in the NBA. But we'll see. Again, the Hawks are a team that's in a little bit of a transition here. They get DeJounte Murray and they got worse in some ways last year as far as their finish. So can they get you know a healthy season together and make a, another deep run in an NBA playoffs? Because they took a step back last season. They did. And, and after adding a star as well, that was one of the bigger surprises, I think, in the NBA last season. So 
we'll see. They've added some depth here, and it'll be interesting to see how that pays off. Now, now Clippers at 48 here, they took Jordan Miller out of Miami. I, I think this could be a really nice pick. I, I really do. The Clippers are very good at taking late-round guys sneakily. Late-round, first-round guys in early second round. This is a late second-round pick, but still, and making something out of it. So that will be interesting see as well another miami guy got taken at 55 the pacers uh took isaiah wong out of miami another guy was on the final four team look out just saying keep an eye on him same with the pick before the kings took jalen slauson out of Furman. the Furman paladins just keep an eye keep an eye out see if, see how they develop right see how that is moving forward last one i'll i'll mention here's the is the, is the penultimate pick because again there were only 58 picks uh, in this uh, draft, and that's because the Sixers and Bulls forfeited their second-round picks because they violated the rules governing free agency discussions. So, rare year uh, in the NBA where we didn't have the full 60 picks. But anyway, the Wizards initially drafted Trace Jackson Davis out of Indiana, a guy that stayed a long time in school with the Hoosiers, all-conference player with Indiana, had a very great, a very good, very good college career. Uh, latter stages of that under Mike Woodson, former Knicks coach, of course. But he gets traded to the Warriors here. And that is going to be a very interesting match there. And the reason I say that is because on paper, Trace Jackson Davis could fit what the Warriors are trying to do very nicely in a lot of ways. He's a poacher around the rim. He's a very good low post operator. And he could kind of give the the Warriors another look. But the the, the reason I say there's a bit of an issue here, the reason I say there's a little bit of an issue is that I thought James, Wines, James Wiseman, I can talk, James Wiseman I thought was going to be that guy for them. And he came out of Memphis a few years ago, and it just hasn't worked out. Just hasn't worked out for them. So that's going to be interesting to kind of see how that plays out moving forward. But for the time being... I think that could be a very nice late round pick and the Warriors pick them up. So that will be interesting. So before we move on to the final stages here where we dive into these crazy trades that just went down in the last week, there are a couple of notable undrafted players here. Now, I don't have the you know, status here if some of these guys have been picked up on free agency deals or stuff like that, but this was updated late uh, in the end. This was updated late on Friday. So we're recording on the Saturday here. So in the end, some of these guys might already have been picked up. But just based on who didn't get drafted, there's a few notables here. Make no mistake about that. First name on the list for me that stood out was Adama Sinogo out of UConn. Another, getting again, another national champion out of the Big East. I felt pretty confident, honestly, going into the draft that he was going to get picked up in the second round. And... I mean, there, there were some draft boards that had him projected as high as like 45, pretty high up. You know, we're talking 15 picks before, well, 12 picks this year, before the end. Doesn't get picked. I, I'll tell you that. Big of a, bit of a surprise there. He's a very good center that could make a, a team very difficult to deal with underneath, especially depth-wise. little surprised to not see him go. Colin Castleton out of Florida was a borderline uh, NBA pick here, Oscar Shibway out of Kentucky. If you told me a year and a half ago that Oscar Shibway was not going to get drafted 
out of Kentucky, I would have been absolutely shocked. But he goes back for another year at Kentucky. It doesn't really work out for him. And his his stock plummeted this year. So that's a bit of a surprise. Looking back, just a few other notables. Drew Timmy out of Gonzaga had a great NBA, sorry, great college career. I think he could have a good NBA career. I think his physicality down low is what hurts him on a lot of boards here. But I hope someone picks him up. He, he could have a bright future. I'm going to run through just a few others here. Adam Flagler out of Baylor. Mike Miles Jr. out of TCU, although he's a little undersized, so that that makes some sense. Landers Nolly out of Cincinnati as well. Uh, Charles Bediaco out of Alabama. Leaky Black out of North Carolina comes to mind as well. And I'll throw one more out there. Marquise, uh, Marquise Noel, uh, Marquise Noel, I beg your pardon, out of Kansas State. I, I thought he did a really nice job at helping his stock during these last few months, including in the NCAA tournament where K-State almost got to a final for themselves, although they were thwarted at MSG by the incredible Cinderella run that was the FAU Florida Atlantic Owls. But at the end of the day, again, these guys are, some of them are undersized. Some of them, you know, just don't have that X factor to them, but I think a good chunk of them are going to get picked up, and that's where I think that they could really shine. I will take a break here. It's a little bit later than I should have taken the break, but I'm going to take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll wrap up the show by diving into two really, really intriguing trades, the Chris Tapps Porzingis trade and the Chris Paul trade. All that is coming up next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Midtown and Rebound podcast network, all part of the Fans First Sports Network. Final segment of the show here. Again, this has gone a little bit longer than I would have wanted to, but we've had a lot to catch up on, and I'm trying to get to a point where I can get more consistent shows out there at least once a week like we used to have it, if not two times a week moving forward. So I really appreciate you guys bearing with me through this hectic time. What great time, you know, as far as my schedule. So I've been really excited about how things are going. However, I have neglected the podcast a little bit, and I apologize for that. I'm going to try to get back to it being more consistent moving forward. So let's dive into these two trades to finish up the podcast <laughs> this week. I mean, there's a ton to get to here, and frankly, um, I was a bit shocked when I when I saw these trades go down i mean the first trade is a three-team blockbuster there's no question about it the celtics are involved the grizzlies are involved and the washington wizards are involved here the celtics in this trade get chris taps porzingis the grizzlies uh, the grizzlies number 25 pick this season which we ran through earlier the warriors 2024 first round pick top four protected which had belonged to memphis that's what the celtics get out of this trade right weird i'll just say that right off the bat i don't understand what the celtics are trying to do here um i don't fully understand why they think chris taps porzingis is going to get them to the next level. Um, fitting him in 
to this team. I, I It's one of the first moves since Brad Stevens came there as the coach and now he's in the front office. It's one of the first moves that Boston's made where I felt immediately like, ooh, that feels like a mistake. That feels like a mistake. And because of his injury history, because of what he brings as well, like, let's just say KP's healthy. I still don't understand this trade. I really don't. I, I don't see how this makes a whole lot of sense. You know, I, I really don't. And the other part of this too is, you know, initially that when they were working this deal out, uh, they were trying to send Malcolm Brogdon to the Clippers as part of a three-team deal to get Porzingis. But this is what ended up happening. The, the Grizzlies took the Clippers' spot. And in taking the, the Clippers' spot, the Grizzlies get Marcus Smart in this trade. And that is the big controversial piece here. That is the controversial piece. You give up Marcus Smart, if you're the Celtics, to get Chris Tapps Porzingis in the end. Because Washington gets Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, and the Celtics' 35th pick in the draft. Super, super odd from the Boston Celtics' perspective. Marcus Smart is a vital piece of this team. And you're sacrificing some defense for some unreliable offense that doesn't really fit the way the Celtics like to play. You know, it just doesn't really work. And it feels like the Celtics got worse by making this deal. It really does. And I, I got to be honest, it, it almost kind of feels like the Celtics are are kind of saying, hey, you know, it, it didn't work. So we're kind of kind of starting to move on a little bit. I, I don't really know. It's a weird one. I'll say this. I'll say this. For the draft, the Celtics kind of get a nice haul in the end because of this trade, but they're going for a championship. You're not trying to get new guys, and you're trying to get enough guys to go for another run at a championship. And, you know, listen, I know that, you know, Al Horford and Robert Williams have been injured, but bringing Kristaps Porzingis just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense here. And to be honest, you know, the team that really comes out as a big old winner here, again, Washington, they get a good amount of pieces, but I, I just don't know like long-term what that's going to mean for them in the on, in, in all honesty. It helps them short-term a bit, but long-term, I, I don't really know. Because you can argue Washington's kind of breaking it all up and starting from scratch, which is fair. So Washington's, remain to, Washington's position is a remain to be seen. The Memphis Grizzlies. Especially, especially now considering that John Moran is suspended for 25 games. We have we barely talked about that on the show. Another incident with a gun in a video, and John Moran is now suspended for 25 games. Marcus Smart going to Memphis is a huge pickup for the Grizzlies here, and they didn't have to give up a ton to get him. Tyus Jones is a big loss, but you know you just give up a, a your 25th pick and you get Marcus Smart. Basically, I mean that's a nice. That's a nice grab for Memphis here. That's a nice pickup. The Grizzlies sneakily made a very nice move here. Everyone's talking about how bad this could be for Boston. Not a lot of people are talking about how good this move was by Memphis. This is very, They weren't even involved. <laughs> they weren't even involved in this deal. They, they were not even involved in the deal. And 
They pick up Marcus Smart at the tail end. I mean, this is very nice. This is very nice for the Grizzlies. Very interesting to see how that plays out moving forward. And the other deal, again, the other deal that, that's been brought up that needs to be addressed also involves the Wizards, who traded for Chris Paul. Of course, we know that well-documented deal that saw Bradley Beal go to the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul go to the Wizards. Nobody in their right mind uh, thought that Chris Paul was going to stay in Washington, D.C. Uh, he was a wizard for uh, maybe 24 hours. It wasn't for very long. And the Wizards trade Chris Paul to the Golden State Warriors to get Jordan Poole. The Wizards also get a 2030 first-round pick that's protected and a 2027 second-round pick from the Golden State Warriors in the deal. Again, can continuing to show that they're rebuilding. So, again, the Wizards are rebuilding, but they got a lot back. So we'll see. The Wizards could be okay in, in three or four years. But for right now, rebuild, no question. For the Warriors, this is a bit of a risky move. It's a bit of a risky move. I know part of the move is to try to make sure you can re-sign Draymond Green. I understand that. But on the court, on the court, because again, the, again, the reason, if you, it, I'll give you more context there. One of the reasons they made this deal is because Jordan Poole just signed a four-year, $122 million deal, something like that. And obviously there was the stuff that happened off the court with the punch, Draymond, Jordan Poole. We get the story, right? Warriors underachieve this year, right? They get knocked out by the Lakers in the second round. Golden State wants to keep their core together, and Jordan Poole has won an NBA championship for this franchise, but the core is Clay, Steph, and Draymond. And the Warriors fully intend, it looks like, to re-sign Draymond Green. When the time comes, Jordan Poole was the most movable piece that was making the most money. That's the context needed there. And Jordan Poole goes to the Wizards to be part of their rebuild. Interesting. We'll see again in a year or two, three years, how that works out. Chris Paul to Golden State is a bit of an odd one for me. And the reason is that, yes, Chris Paul wants to chase another NBA title. There's not many better places to do that than being with the Golden State Warriors who are going to continue to push. They, they want more. The Golden State Warriors clearly want to win at least another one or two rings. They want at least a couple more to solidify their legacy. And they listen, they already have with four, but five and six, I mean, now you are one of the top five, you know, runs in NBA history. You're up there with the Spurs teams. You know, you're up there with the, the Kobe Shaq Lakers. You, you know, the... Uh, you're up there with the Bulls teams, with, with Michael and, and Scotty, you know? Five and six, that, that that's the company now you're starting to keep, right? So that's what they're chasing here. I, I'll just say this. I understand this for Chris Paul. For Chris Paul, this makes a lot of sense. Phoenix, you know, is moving on from him. You still want to be on a team that has a chance to contend for a title again. There's like four or five that are for, firmly on that list. The Warriors are one of them. It makes sense. For Golden State, again, I kept seeing this stat, right, that Chris Paul has assisted on more threes than almost anybody in NBA history, all this stuff. So I get that. But there's so many guys that they could have gotten that are much more likely to stay healthy. 
than Chris Paul. I, I just feel like Chris Paul's health makes this a very risky transaction for the Golden State Warriors. You're putting a lot of faith in a future Hall of Famer, but one that continues to get hurt in the big moments and isn't healthy when you need him. That's why this deal becomes very risky for me. It really does. I don't fully know how to how to break it down, frankly. I really don't. It's again, could this work out? Yeah. I it definitely could work out. But I, I could also see a scenario here where the, the Warriors are, are an old team and getting older. You know, or older team that are getting older here. And Chris Paul, oh, I, I know Jordan Poole, I, I understand. If you move on, I get it. To get Chris Paul back, I, I just, ooh, it feels, it feels a little woozy for me. It doesn't feel like a, a slam dunk here, no pun intended. It just, it feels like there could be some issues. No question about that. But it makes the West more and more interesting going into next season make no mistake about that i'll leave it there because there's not much else we can talk about with that it's a wait and see if chris paul's healthy which is the biggest if maybe ever (laughs) it could work out but he's not healthy i mean you just you just gave away a very good player in jordan Poole. who you could have continued to hone and and mature it's already won you a ring and and then what are you left with you know, now that he's gone and Chris Paul's injured, the Warriors look a bit exposed with their depth. And that was what cost them in the playoffs last year, a lack of depth. So that is going to be something to keep an eye on going into next season. No questions asked about that. That's going to do it for this episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Midtown and Rebound Podcast Network. Of course, it's a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Follow me on Twitter at SJ7. Follow Fans First Sports Network on Twitter at Fans First SN. Really appreciate you tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. Again, my plan is to get this back to once or twice a week moving forward. I will do my best to do that. I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, as always, for listening and have a great rest of your weekend. I will talk to you all next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Midtown and Rebound Podcast Network, all a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Thanks, as always, for tuning into the show.